Welcome to Bike Talk. I'm Nick Richard. Today we have interviews with LA City Council member for CD4, Nithya Rahman, Streets for All founder, Michael Schneider, and the creator of LA's first bike co-op, The Bike Kitchen, Jimmy Lazama. Traffic violence is rising in LA and nationwide, second only to guns as the leading killer of children. Enough is sometimes enough, and an elderly cyclist's death triggered the closure of Crystal Springs Drive in Griffith Park to through traffic. Bike Talk co-hosts Lindsey Sturman and Taylor Nichols weighed in. They're only closing one little section of it, which is a shortcut cut through. And it's high time that they did it. Central Park in New York has been working to be car free for a long time. I had to teach my children how to ride a bicycle in Griffith Park without there being any safe place to do it. And so this is a huge win for environmentalists and for hikers and for horseback riders and for cyclists and for the park in general. The park doesn't need two cut through paths. And this is really only stopping one. I I agree. I think this is huge. I think this is, is national news and it is showing that there is a huge demand and desire for bikeability and healthier lifestyles and getting out there. I mean, the government is supposed to give us these public spaces. That is what the government does. They're called shared amenities, right? Parks, promenades, places to exercise, places to gather. LA doesn't have enough. And this is such a special place. Biking, especially, it was just a tragedy. And this response to it, and that came so fast. I just think it's so heartening. Griffith Park streets, these streets, Don says in the interview we're about to play, were designed for speed. People have been asking for bike lanes there for decades, maybe. So why does it take a death when we knew that it was going to happen? Because car culture is king in Los Angeles. And the Griffith Park is right there by the five highway and the 134. And for years, people have been using it as a way to get off the highway and make a cut through. And they've been speeding through the park. If a car is going 20 miles an hour, you have a 10% chance of dying in that interaction with a car. At 40 miles an hour, it's not twice as bad. It's 90%. 50 miles an hour, you're dead. And that is Russian roulette with somebody's life. We're not processing how these cars are so fast and they're so deadly because we're so desperate to get out of the traffic. Streets are there for us. They just don't have to all be for cars. Streets are for people. Let's play the interview with Don Ward and Nithya Rahman. So we have Nithya Nithya. Rahman, City Council District four, which is kind of a weird district. It's Los Feliz, Hancock Park, Sherman Oaks. It used to be Hancock Park and Sherman Oaks, but now after redistricting, it's actually Silver Lake to Reseda. So it's Silver Lake, Los Feliz, most of the Hollywood Hills, Studio City, a big chunk of it, Sherman Oaks, all of Encino, and a big chunk of Reseda. And a big chunk of Reseda. Wow. Okay. You are here to tell us about the uh, new closure at Griffith Park. It's from Traveltown to Mount Hollywood Drive, yes? It's a two-thirds mile stretch of Griffith Park that we've shut down. And any user of the park knows that it's also a really convenient cut through for trying to avoid that chunk of the five where it's always backed up seemingly. So people used basically a cut through route that goes from the 134 to Zoo Drive to Griffith Park Drive. And then either they get onto the five in the park or they go further south and get onto the five. It's a really narrow winding road. Even for cars, it's not the easiest road to traverse, but it's also a road that's really popular for people who are walking, who are biking, who are riding on horses. And Griffith Park Drive and Crystal Springs Drive are two of those roads that are on that side of the park that are under the control of the Department of Recreation and Parks. 
And so what we've done is twofold. We have closed down a two thirds mile stretch of Griffith Park Drive to cars, which means that it's virtually eliminated for use as a cut through anymore, which is really exciting, which means that the cars that are coming into those roads, which are still available for car use are really people who are driving to places in Griffith Park. They're driving into the park, which is really exciting. And the second thing that we're doing, um, and this is the Department of Recreation Parks is actually hiring a consultant. Um, They've already hired them and they've started their study, which is going to be looking at short, medium and long term options for improving active transportation uh, and safety in Griffith Park. That's really exciting. And we're hoping to move relatively quickly on identifying the possible improvements making sure that if they need to be, that they're socialized with community members and that we're taking action on them. So I'm, I'm happy. Yeah, that's a great move. Cut through traffic has always been kind of menacing because it's almost like a video game where you have uh, ways or something and it's telling you this other route and you're rushing to get an even better time than ways is like telling you you can get and there's speeding through the park and so forth. That's a big deal. So, you know, thank you for that. Crystal Springs is kind of the focus um, that a lot of people have because that's more of a commuter type route. So we were looking forward to hearing what can be done with Crystal Springs. Yes. for So for Crystal Springs Drive, I think this closure, the two thirds mile closure of Griffith Park Drive, that's a, in its pilot phase, but we don't have a sunset date for that. We're kind of seeing what happens there where it's going to go on indefinitely. We're collecting data from it and we're going to see how users of the park are responding to that particular closure and seeing how it has an impact or doesn't on some of the cut through traffic. But on Crystal Springs Drive, I think there's a couple of different options that are being studied by the consultants. So Crystal Springs, as you know, um, has that two level separation. Right now, two roads, each road going one way with automobile traffic on both. And so I think there are some, some options that are on the table that the consultants are looking at And I think it would either look like one of those roads is kept entirely for active transportation users and the other is used for cars, or that each of those roads have some road space taken away from them for active transportation users and some road space that's still available for automobile users. There's different options that are on the table. There's obviously some natural separation already in the road space, which is kind of an interesting dynamic that doesn't usually exist in most roads that you're considering that I think might push us in one direction or the other. But what we're really looking to do is, are there some really quick interventions that we can make that are low cost, but high reward? And then over the medium and long-term figure out what else we need to invest in and find the money for that investment. It seems like, you know, you have, Two lanes in each direction, the cheapest route to go would be to just reduce a lane in each direction, protect a bike lane and walkway in each direction, and then enhance that little shortcut to Griffith Park if possible. Mm-hmm. Can't wait to see what the engineers come out with. Is there a yeah. uh, public process of input that, that um, people can get involved with? Um, so if anyone is not signed up for our mailing list, I would just encourage you to sign up for our mailing list. You can get on the list at your website. What is the website now? Councildistrict4.lacity.org. And I just wanted to, I think it wouldn't be right to um, talk about this intervention without mentioning 
the incredibly tragic death of Andrew Gelmert, who was participating in the AIDS life cycle training ride and uh, was killed by a speeding motorist on Crystal Springs Drive very, very recently. Our office was already discussing with Rec and Parks what we could do. This presented a really great opportunity uh, because Rec and Parks controls those roads. Andrew's death, I think, really made it um, something that we wanted to take action on with real urgency. Um, I think it pushed us to move even faster than we we had already been moving. So I think about him a lot, and I hope that we can ensure that we don't have any more deaths in, in this area of Griffith Park anymore. I hope that we can really create safe spaces for pedestrians and for bicyclists going forward. This is Bike Talk. You're listening to Don Ward with Nithya Rahman, City Council District 4 representative. It always seemed like that stretch was kind of designed to be a cut through alternate for the freeway because it has, there's literally four lanes of traffic going through the park right there. And the speed limit says 25 miles an hour, but the street is designed for 60, 70 miles an hour at least. And uh, that was always kind of a scary situation. I think even people were asking for a bike lane years ago and a previous council member, I think it was Tom LaBonge, maybe resisted that. I'm not sure, but I'm so glad that you're being proactive um, from this point moving forward and really engaging in, in trying to change this situation. It's, it's uh, been a long time coming. So thank yeah, you. for sure. And I think you can say that about all bicycle improvements in the city of Los Angeles, that they're a long time coming. But as we get better at doing this, we actually were able to find more support in the most recent budget cycle for mm-hmm. active transportation staff at the Department of Transportation. Great. So we were really understaffed for even just like trying to figure out what intervention do you put in at a particular intersection or along a particular road to make it safer. DOT did not have the staffing to even give us options. And so this most recent budget cycle, one of the wins that our office really advocated for and and got through this budget cycle is that we were able to add substantially to the number of positions available in DOT um, for active transportation experts. It's kind of the boring side of this stuff. But if you look at, for example, staffing in New York versus staffing in Los Angeles for active transportation Um, People within our departments of transportation, New York has so many more people. LA had had like five, you know, who were really stretched thin for our entire city. And now we can hopefully get more people out there um, on that team. And that means that council offices can rely on them and move faster on projects than we were able to before. I think we have to look at every part of this process to see how we can speed it up. Do you have any um, contact with the mayoral candidates? I mean, in New York, they sort of had a, a mayor that, you know, Bloomberg was, which is strange to me, actually, but Bloomberg actually was pushing for active transportation against the grain of the embedded culture in New York. And you kind of need that leadership in the mayor's office, right? You definitely do need that support from the mayoral office here. Obviously, you know the difference between the mayoral structure in New York and the mayoral structure here. The New York mayor is much more powerful kind of structurally than our our city mayor. But I do think our mayor plays an incredibly important role. They have a bully pulpit. They can push things to happen. They appoint general managers. And so they can really appoint general managers who have that priority. And I do think his appointee, Salida Reynolds, 
is really focused on active transportation. You know, she herself is a bicyclist um, and is far more focused on this issue than I think previous general managers of that department have been. The challenge is that there needs to be a push around this issue where you get everyone on board. Like you, you, you don't just do it at the mayor's office that you start building a coalition with the council and you say, I'm really committed to this issue. Who on the council is with me? Let's work on it together. It has to be a shared enterprise. It has to be a set of shared wins. And, you know, I'm hoping that our mayoral candidates um, can also be focused on it. I haven't talked to them explicitly about this issue, but I think it's a good issue to bring up and definitely something that we should make sure that they're talking about for sure. Are there any other uh, projects that you see on the horizon in terms of active transportation? Well, we're continuing to do more of the work that we had already done, which is looking at existing street resurfacing schedules and ensuring that any streets that are newly laid are following the dictates of the mobility plan in our district and making sure that they have the striping for um, bicyclists. But one of the things that is interesting about the work that we've been doing is really that we have a, a huge stretch of Ventura Boulevard in our district and a number of projects that are in process that I inherited or new projects that are coming in along that stretch. And we're working with all of those developers to say, um, okay, you're coming into this neighborhood. How are you going to support active transportation along Ventura Boulevard as part of your work? That's you know part of the negotiation and the discussion that we have with all new projects that are coming in. And I'm really excited about thinking about how we can continue to support the river and connectivity along the river. Uh, we've been discussing with our state partners, whether they can provide more funding for a big active transportation project that really provides interconnectivity for the LA River. We'll see if that comes through. But if it doesn't, we know what that looks like. So that means that we can start fighting for individual pieces of that and hopefully build an interconnected system as we move forward. And I think if we're focused on it, piece by piece, we can build it. I'm going to have to get on that map and see what the redistrict is. I didn't even know that you're in Reseda now. So that's on. How did you wild. know? It was big news. It was big news. I, I saw a lot of the news about it, but I never actually looked at the borders. So I apologize. Yeah, for it's Silver Lake to Reseda. It, it's a, I love the new district. I miss the old district. Really? Oh, yeah. I love Love it so great. I mean, we kept 60% of our old district, so mm-hmm. you know, it didn't change a, a gigantic amount, but 40% new neighborhoods. I really miss my old neighborhoods. Uh, we had the more of Hollywood, we had more of Mid City, and I miss them a lot. But I really love Studio City, I really love Encino, and I really love uh, the neighborhoods in Reseda that we have. And we've had some incredible events out there already, and it's been really fun getting to know everyone. And frankly, there are some real economies of scale that you can build when you control more contiguous strips of a particular road or like the LA river. Now we have about 19 miles of it, either one side or both sides in the district, which is really exciting. So that's amazing. I can't wait till that's connected. I know we, it's going to take more resources than we have available to us at the city, but we're really focused on it. So I think we can get there if we, if we stay focused. Thanks for the update. Thank you. Very excited. Thank you, Bike Talk, as always, for staying focused on on this issue and looking forward to staying in touch. That was Don Ward and CD4 council member Nithya Rahman. Don and Nithya talked about the mayor being important for active transportation, including bikes, 
My wife Julie caught up with Karen Bass, representative for California's 37th Congressional District and candidate for Los Angeles mayor. Karen had recently done Ciclavia, and Julie asked, Can you tell me why a car-free space like Ciclavia is important for a car-centered city like Los Angeles? Well, because we would like to not forever be a car-centered city. <laughs> and I think having the public display of a car-free opportunity to ride bikes and scooters and skateboard is a great way to begin to kind of change how Angelinos view their city. And I've been riding bikes since high school, and so one thing that I don't often do is ride through the streets. I often go to the beach or very designated safe bike paths. It would be great to get people riding bikes, of course, for recreation, but also for transportation. And I think that's going to take a cultural shift, and having these public events is an opportunity to contribute to that cultural shift in our city. Why are bikes important for Los Angeles? Well, like we were talking about earlier, we need to change from being such a car-centric city to looking at different modes of transportation, and that helps with the quality of life, but most important, it helps with the environment because we know the contribution that cars make to climate change. And so if we want to meet our goals of 100% renewables in the next couple of decades, then transportation and altering LA's car-centric culture is a key step in that direction. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for taking your time out of your day to chat with me. I look forward to seeing where your candidacy goes with Mayor for Los Angeles. Thank you. You are once again listening to Bike Talk on KPFK. We turn now to an interview with Michael Schneider, founder of Streets for All, and their initiative, the Healthy Streets LA Ballot Measure. Don Ward co-hosts. We heard in a previous interview with Nithya Raman how a progressive council member can make streets safer by following the city's existing mobility plan. And that's going to happen thanks to Michael Schneider, founder of Streets for All, which made the Healthy Streets LA initiative. Michael, thank you for being with us. The LA Times wrote, it's crazy that Angelinos would need to go to the ballot to force the city to implement its own plan. It is crazy. How and when did you realize this needed to happen? Well, Streets for All has spent years begging, trying to charm, sometimes yelling, mostly just trying to use logic and data and facts to try to get the city of Los Angeles to make the streets safe for all modes of transportation. And I think there just gets to a point where no matter how good your data is, no matter how right you are based on best practices around the world, that it's just not getting done. And so it was about a year and a half ago that we just sort of threw up our hands in frustration and we're like, you know what? We're having to fight block by block to even get the city to follow what they said they wanted to do. Something's got to change. And we were inspired by different ordinances. One was in Cambridge, Massachusetts, One was in Providence. Minneapolis had done something kind of similar. So we just looked around the country and we're like, what is working really well? And how do we get that here in LA? And that was sort of the genesis of it. So every time a street is repaved under the Healthy Streets LA initiative, the city will do what it says in the mobility plan. Well, every time a street is repaved by law, they should implement the mobility plan. That doesn't mean it will always happen. We built in a transparency dashboard so everyone can track and see what's going on. There's no more mystery. And hopefully they do follow their own law. If they don't, there's a right of action in there. The city does understand the language of lawsuits, but we hope we don't have to do that. 
We hope they just follow their own plan under the ordinance. It would be an ordinance just like anything else is a law in Los Angeles. Let's clarify for the audience also, this is coming up in November 2022, right? The election, this will be on the ballot. Well, we should clarify a couple of things. First of all, it's probably not 2022. It's probably 2024 because we turned in our signatures a few weeks late. But secondly, this is coming up for a vote at council next month. So right now, our 102,000 signatures are with the city clerk. We were verifying as we went. We know that we have enough valid signatures to get on the ballot. You only need 61,000. We know we have at least 74,000, probably more. So we're not worried about qualifying. Once the city clerk says, yep, you've got enough signatures, it then goes to city council. And city council under the charter has 20 days to do one of two things. They can either vote to adopt it as law. So they just say, yep, we agree. You're not the law of the land. Or they can vote to send it to the ballot. And we were a little bit later than we needed to be for the 2022 ballot. So it would be 2024. But the city council vote, should they vote to adopt it, is the same thing. So that part doesn't change. We're working really hard to try to get eight votes to adopt it as law. There is a interesting thing going on with the council president, Nuri Martinez. She introduced a motion based on Healthy Streets LA. We are big fans of almost everything in her motion. It's got great stuff we don't have. Equity-based implementation, coordinating city departments, prioritizing the high injury network. We didn't want to tell the city how to do it. We just said you have to do it. And a lot of the stuff in her motion is the how, which is great. The one thing we are asking of council is the very first moving clause in her motion directs the city attorney to draft an ordinance based on Healthy Streets LA. Why do it based on Healthy Streets LA? Just adopt Healthy Streets LA as the ordinance. And then all that other great stuff in her motion, which we're already supportive of, we would continue to support and we could have the best of both worlds. So that's what we're working on right now. So how does this Healthy Streets or what Nuri Martinez is doing, how does it make the city follow the mobility plan? What's the tool? So they start at the same point, which is if the city does any work in ours, it's over one eighth of a mile. So they still could do something at an intersection, for example, wouldn't trigger it. If they do emergency repairs, it wouldn't trigger it. If they do pothole fixing, it wouldn't trigger it, a utility work. Aside from those few exceptions, the city repaves a couple hundred miles of streets every year. And so anytime they repave a street, if that street happens to have treatment on the mobility plan, they would also have to follow the mobility plan treatment. The council president's motion is exactly the same in that regard. So they both, in theory, do the same thing. The key difference that everyone needs to understand is if city council passes her motion and not ours, and let's say the political winds change in a year, there's some pushback, it's getting a little tough, the council makeup changes, she's no longer council president at some point in the future. With eight votes, they can just undo it. And all of a sudden, this huge fight and this million dollar effort and over 100,000 signatures don't mean anything because they've just undone everything that we worked for. If they vote to adopt our ordinance and the political winds change and things get tough, they actually can't undo it without going back to the voters and doing another ballot initiative. So the barrier to go back to the status quo is much, much higher if they vote to adopt a citizen-led initiative, which is ours. So that's why it's so important to us to adopt ours. We have one thing in ours that the city council doesn't love. We have a attorney fees clause. So if the city doesn't follow its mobility plan and you sue, you can't get damages from the city, but it's specific performance. The judge would go tell the city, go do it the right way, but you can get your attorney fees back. 
we thought that was fair because why should you have to go out of pocket to enforce a law the city said they were going to do? The city, however, gets sued so much. There's so many frivolous lawsuits out there. And so they are terrified of anything that says an attorney fees clause. In our world, it's so simple. If you repay the street that has a protected bike lane on the mobility plan and you put in the protected bike lane, you're not going to get sued. And if you repave it and don't put in the protected bike lane that's on the mobility plan, you will get sued. It's entirely within the city's control. It's very different than, let's say, a broken sidewalk. There's so many broken sidewalks in the city and they get sued about that all the time. But this would not be retroactive. This would be going forward. It's truly in the city's control whether they do or don't get sued under our plan. Knowing the city council, they're aware of this. It sounds like they would want to pass their own ordinance so they're not beholden to this. If they're having the city attorney draft something up, it's definitely because they don't want to be beholden to this, in my opinion. What do you think? Is it better that we wait for 2024 and try to discourage the city council from adopting their own version if they don't adopt this specific plan? They're not mutually exclusive. So there's several ways this could play out. My gut right now, and we're working very hard to change this, is they're probably going to send us to the ballot and go on with their own. But if ours goes to the ballot in 2024, our polling shows it would pass easily. They're going to be beholden to it eventually anyway. So our argument is let's not go through all that. You're showing great leadership. Let's continue that. And we're working on a care package right now to each office. We're going to tell them not only things like how many pedestrians have been hurt or killed or people on bikes have been hurt and killed in their districts since the mobility plan passed. We're also going to show them a heat map and overlay all the signatures from their district. So they're going to see the thousands of people in their district that want this. We're going to show them the polling that we did that shows this is very popular and people are more likely to support candidates that support these ideas. These are not fringe ideas. And especially if you look at what's going on in this election season, I'm not going to name specific names, but I think we all know who the allies are on council and the people that are anti-road safety, they're not doing so well in the election. They're losing seats or in danger of losing seats. And so these ideas are politically popular. The city already said they wanted to do it. I feel grateful to the council president that we inspired this movement that's going on at council now. But again, we spent almost a million dollars We had hundreds of people working every single day to get these signatures. We have a huge coalition we've built. We have 40 neighborhood councils in support. I think we owe it to ourselves and our backers to have a higher bar and get ours passed so they can't undo it if the winds change in a year. There's too much blood, sweat, and tears that have gone in at this point. You're listening to a Bike Talk interview with Don Ward and Michael Schneider and me, Nick Richard, about the Healthy Streets LA initiative. So what's it going to look like when the city does implement its mobility plan? Well, I guess either way you could say, at least in theory, it's going to look dramatically different. We won't be fighting block by block anymore because we won't have to. If the plan's there, the facility should go in. This does not preclude community engagement, so that that will still happen, and that's great. But it changes it in a very fundamental way. It's very different to walk into a community and say, hey, There's a protected bike lane on the street we're about to repave in your community. Do you want it? That's a very different discussion than, hey, there's a protected bike lane on the street we're about to repave near you. How would you like us to implement it? We can remove parking on one side of the street. We can remove a center turn lane. We can remove a vehicle traffic lane. What's best for the community and what's most important to the community? So the community still has buy-in and input and they're still considered, 
But what's not considered is just not doing it at all, which today, as you guys know, that is often a consideration to just ignore their own plan. This episode of Bike Talk is going to be on air during rush hour. And so we expect that we'll have more of the car driving public listening in. And what would you say to them? How will they benefit from this? It reminds me of those billboards when you're driving on the freeway. And it's like, if you lived here, you'd be home by now. It's mm-hmm. sort of like if you were in a different mode of transportation, you might be home by now. But look, I want to be clear. In the Streets for All logo, there is a car. We are not anti-car. I drive sometimes. We all drive sometimes. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not trying to shame people out of their car. We're trying to give people options. Let's look at someone's life and their needs. Within one mile of many people's houses, there's usually a grocery store. There's a convenience store. There's things for errands, et cetera. Maybe within two or three miles, there's their kids' schools. There's a park. There's other things. Maybe within five miles, there's the doctor and the dentist and most of your life. And I'm excluding commutes for a second. So if you think about it, what takes more time? Let's just talk about time. Forget what's more fun and the climate change and all that stuff. Like, let's talk about time. Does it take more time to get in your car, drive, let's say, under a mile to the grocery store, look for parking, go in, get your groceries, get back and go home, possibly stuck in traffic, possibly looking for parking for a while? Or is it an easy five-minute bike ride? Go that one mile and do the same thing and get VIP parking right in front. I think you appeal to people's self-interest. People don't like wasting their time. No one enjoys sitting in traffic. They do it because they think they have no choice. But what the mobility plan does is it lets people who are curious about biking or might choose that for shorter trips, it enables them to do it because they feel like they're not going to die. It enables people that are curious about the bus, but see the bus going much slower at rush hour. All of a sudden, that's a bigger consideration for them because they see the bus flying past private cars at rush hour because it has its own lane. 52% of Angelinas, according to our polling, are scared to cross the street. Well, if the mobility plan is putting in many more crosswalks and we have more hot crossings and signalized crossings, all of a sudden walking becomes more pleasant. So it's not about getting people out of cars. It's about giving people options. And some of those people that previously drove will choose those other options. And therefore, if you are sitting in your car right now in traffic, it means there should be fewer cars in front of you and around you, which should improve the traffic. So it is an interconnected ecosystem. And there is that statistic that most car trips are actually less than three miles. 50% of car trips in the city of Los Angeles are three miles or less. 66% are five miles or less. And three miles, that's a very bikeable distance. One mile, two miles, three miles. I'd rather just bike to the coffee shop than have to drive there, which I feel like I have to do right now because it feels dangerous to bike to the coffee shop. And if we get more access to biking and walking, there will be people that will choose that. Yeah, I think that's the idea. We play this weird game in Los Angeles where we assume we're different than any other humans in the country or the world. So what has happened in other places in the country is when you put in more protected bike facilities, more people bike. And when you put in more bus lanes and it becomes more attractive, more people take transit. So there's no reason to think that's different in LA. There's a myth that LA is just too big to make this work. But again, you look at the data, 50% of trips, three miles or less, two thirds of trips, five miles or less, especially with e-bikes, which I think are such a big game changer. You don't have to sweat. You don't have to worry about hills. You can carry cargo or your kid or groceries or whatever and still live a life. 
And we haven't even talked about how much more fun and pleasant it is to get around, how much better for your health it would be to physically move your body more to get around, how much better it is for climate change. I don't think people make decisions at the local level based on just those things, but those are all true as well. So not only does it save you time, but it's healthier for you and you can even have fun as an adult in the middle of the day getting to where you need to go. The school drop-off is a really interesting one. The way we get kids to and from school in Los Angeles is completely broken. And what you have is you have little kids encapsulated in these hermetically sealed boxes that sort of deprive them. You don't hear a bird chirp or you don't feel the wind or all that stuff. And then you have stressed out parents desperately trying to get their kid to school on time. And maybe they have a meeting and they're late for work and all that stress. And so the result is just an SUV show. And if I can't say that, just beep it out. (laughs) But it's really a stressful experience. And I have had the benefit of taking my three kids and my electric cargo bike to two different schools for the last year. And I can tell you, one of my daughters went to a school on Bronson where there is a bike lane. And we got to experience firsthand, we would fly past all of these stressed out parents waiting for these kids to get their turn to go to school. And it was just so much more fun and enjoyable than just being in that stressful environment. So I think one of the issues is parents don't even consider this as an option because they themselves don't feel safe even riding a bike by themselves to the store, let alone putting their kids on a bike. It seems unfathomable. I'm so, I guess, radical that I can't imagine taking them in an SUV and depriving them of the fun and the connection to community and the physical experiences, like the wind in your hair, like little things. But it takes time. And the first step is getting parents to even feel comfortable by themselves before we introduce kids. So this is going to be a process, even if this law does pass, this is still like a 10-year process, right? This isn't going to be a sudden change that everybody's going to lose their minds over. I think you're going to see some much quicker change. So Streets for All also fought really hard to help LADOT get their budget requests this year, and they got them. So all of a sudden, they got all of these positions they lost during COVID restored, and they got the biggest single increase of active transportation positions in DOT history. So all of a sudden, you're going to have many more resources at DOT. We've got this infrastructure law that hasn't even really hit local governments yet that is trickling down money specifically for active transportation, among other things. And we'll see what happens in the mayor's race and the council races. But at least at council, the winds are definitely in favor of continuing to build on the progress we've made. So I think when you put it all together, all of a sudden, you're not going to see one marquee or two marquee bike lanes a year opening like you do now. I think you're going to see six, eight or 10 opening per year. And that is just really exciting. So I think you're going to see change much quicker than 10 years. Have you guys been in touch with either of the mayoral candidates to see if they would support this? We have not been in touch with Rick Caruso's office at all. We would welcome that conversation. We have been in touch with Karen Bass's office a little bit because we also have a 25 by 25 initiative that her staff seemed to really like, but she has not signed on yet. Okay, awesome. And we're trying to get interviews with both of those candidates as well. So Aaron Bass was out at Ciclavia yesterday on her bike, Mm -hmm. biking with her brother. That's a good sign. We actually did get a short statement from Karen Bass. All right, Michael, thanks for coming on. Give us an update. We're going to have you back on as this moves through the halls of power here and get some updates. Appreciate your work, man. Thank you, guys. Thanks for all you do. Thank you. You're listening to Bike Talk on KPFK. We're proud to present Jimmy Lazama on his road trip 
to the bike cities of Northern Europe with his son Joaquin. Jimmy's a longtime Los Angeles bike activist and creator of LA's first bike co-op, The Bike Kitchen. Um, this was originally my son's idea uh, to come out to Norway. He's been kind of enamored with the place for about, about a year now and really pushing for it. Um, and I wasn't sure if I really wanted to, you know, make that huge trip for uh, in general, it's, it's, a, it's a big lift to take off that much time and, and then take my kid to a place like that. Also, I very am very aware of the privilege of having uh, the ability to fly to Europe uh, and then travel about. But I figured like in, in my own lifetime as, as a, an immigrant, as, as a child of immigrants from Honduras who never really had the ability to connect me to a more global experience other than migrating from Honduras to LA at some point in my life with them. Um, I really wanted to kind of help Joaquin have an imagination about something and go and do it. Um, again, understanding the privilege of that, uh, I still wanted my son to understand uh, what the world looks like, uh, how to connect some dots, and the responsibility that we have in our own place in Los Angeles, in our own places to do the good work. So you, st and I really wanted him to see that I'm not crazy for wanting to ride a bicycle in LA. And that when you go to other cities, you see how prevalent the bicycle and the pedestrian culture can be and how much better it is. And surely here in uh, lots of parts of Europe, there's just amazing, wonderful human spaces not so much uh, uh, car space as, as is dedicated to uh, in Los Angeles. A kid could get the idea that it's crazy to bike in LA. Absolutely. And, you know, my kid is one of those kids who sees it as something crazy, not just because it's, you know, kind of intense uh, in LA, because there isn't access to bicycle facilities and also bicycle culture or general awareness of the, of the different users, right? This is very, obviously very, um, classist in the way that we uphold the car in LA as, as a society, but also nobody else is very much doing it um, in, in his in his peer group, right? There, there aren't like, you know, three or four other parents who take their kids to school by bicycle. It's just me and Joaquin dropping them off. He makes it drop them off two blocks away from school because he gets harassed by yeah. some of the kids because he's like the one bike kid, you know? Wow. Uh, so he's like, it's not cool, dad. And he's, a, he's in that space where like, things got to be cool and he's got to look cool and it's got a whole, and, and I get it. I was there. Um, so I drop him off and I pick him up by tandem uh, two blocks away, even though some of the kids are like, Oh, that's cool. But you know, it's his own thing. Um, so I really want my son to see other places that, that, that do it, honor it. And it's kind of normal, if not the norm um, in places. Again, in this trip, I'm really learning that, you know, there's a lot of pushback in Europe against the bicycle, against a pedestrian and bicycle culture. There's still this huge influence by car culture, convenience culture, consumerism culture, class culture, uh, to lean toward modes of transportation that will uh, elevate your class structure, your, 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 your sense of, of, of where you belong and how you're gonna elevate above everybody else. Uh, so I'm hearing from activists around like, yeah, no, we, we got to fight. We got to keep on fighting because even though it's cool right now, it's OK right now. It's taking this this long to do it, but we got to safeguard it because there is pushback against it. I want Joaquin to soak it in. He's a young teenager and he's not really interested in activism per se, but he is interested in history at the very least. And I want to be able to give him the tools to differentiate between good, bad behavior, good, bad policy, and just to also look at the different cities to see 
what's different about them and have discussions with him as he grows older about how he can participate. Well, you live at the LA Eco Village and it's an intentional community and the bike is just such a good symbol of so much of what living your values means, I think. There's a good place where we talk about social justice and environmental justice. Um, we're still beholden to the larger culture or the larger infrastructures. Uh, they're both there, right? There's like, it's like the culture of how we do things in our, in, in our, in our cities and our lives. And then there's also how the city is built, the built space. And so those two, they, they kind of play together. So as much as I'd love to live in a community where 90% of our trips are made by bicycle or by public trans or by walking, there's still quite a few eco-villagers that are forced in some degree to have cars and have car lives. Uh, so even in a place called the Los Angeles eco-village, there's a ton of room, of room for all of us uh, and in different ways, you know, from what we eat to what we consume to where we go to entertain ourselves, all of those things. It's far from utopian for sure, but at least we do have good examples of different activists from different points of views on how we engage with our lives and our um, responsible human beings uh, all around. I visited the other day and I talked to Jessica who got, I guess, the first electric cargo bike from the Recyclos project, the mom tank. And she talked yeah. about raising kids who aren't scared of other forms of transportation and how yeah. eco-villagers can bike in groups and that makes it safer feeling for kids and everything. In the context of this trip here, I really also for myself wanted to return to Europe. I haven't been here in 20 years. I was back here back in like two or three for the World Messenger uh, Championships in Copenhagen and biked around for a while. And that was the first time I got to see like really live, saturated bicycle culture from the perspective that I was trying to see myself. Um, and so after the bicycle kitchen got its start and, and you know, the, the volunteers, we all worked together to create that wonderful uh, DIY space, DIY culture, and then other ones started sprouting and really started to kind of like create a beautiful, rich uh, counterculture to to the car culture. Um, it, it felt like we needed more, right? We need we need we needed uh, we needed more people to be involved inside of the, of this culture, primarily families and uh, working class and 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 everybody kind of else who was in in who's in LA and needs mobility and in trying to make a better community. Uh, when Joaquin was born, that's when I was first introduced to cargo bicycles. Um, and I wasn't sure exactly how I was going to get my son around without uh, a, a proper bicycle for him. And so when I saw it, it was wonderful. Um, got one from um, the Flying Pigeon uh, shop back in the day. And that was a cheap, cheap, cheap one that I had to like really improve in so many ways. And it was great for five years. Joaquin spent his life uh, in a cargo bicycle, um, mm -hmm. camping to the store, to school, to the park, to the beach, everywhere. It was like we were on this, on this awesome cargo bicycle. And <laughs> I always find it so uh, kind of remarkable the look on people's faces when they would see Joaquin myself inside of this cargo bicycle. Like people inside of Escalades and huge cars and blah, blah, blah. They were just kind of like, wow, what is that? That's so cool. And I'm like, it's, it's a bicycle, it's human powered, and all you need is like a burrito to power it, and you're good for many, many hours. Um, and I can see like they, they, you know, some of the folks, like they would like to have that in their lives. They were so fascinated by this idea of human powered mobility. 
but it, it wasn't something that was introduced in, to them at any given point in LA. This is the first time they're seeing something like this, but they're expensive. You know, they, they're $3,000 to get something without power. Um, so it was just, it was just, it was too much. And so I started thinking about how can we build these without so much expense, even with recycled bicycles, uh, you still have quite a bit of expense in, in space and machinery and approach and then selling. It's just, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Uh, anyway, I got this idea. I'm like, well, maybe we can use education as a component of it. Teach young people to build cargo bicycles and then give them to the community who might actually need them. Uh, and so the the concept of Reciclos was born a couple of years ago. Uh, we built our first uh, full cargo bicycle with a youth from our neighborhood down the street at the Breezy Foundation, a uh, young man of 17 years old uh, who was going through some hard times. We found a client who needed a cargo bicycle. So she was like, yeah, I need a cargo bike. They're too expensive. We said, well, we can do it for your budget. She gave us some money. I gave half that money to Aiden, our student. And over the course of 10 days, Aiden and myself just, uh, and with the help of Bea, who is now our um, fabrication coordinator for Reciclos, uh, we all worked together to build a Long John cargo bicycle with like 90% recycled materials. We found bed frames in the street, uh, tubing in the street, whatever it was, all real basic stuff. And we made this awesome cargo bicycle. You're still listening to Bike Talk. I'm Nick Richard, and this is Jimmy's road trip to the bike cities of Northern Europe. Uh, so we've got two components to, to Reciclos. One is just immediately making cargo bicycles as fast as we can and getting them out to the community. And the other one is working with our interns, our young interns, um, to teach them the skills. Trying to get as many cargo bikes to as many people as possible to do a little bit of uh, you know research, design, modification, wherever possible, and just get the things out there. Just get the things out uh, in the community. We are not interested in selling cargo bicycles. That is not the model that we're looking for. The freeways are on welfare. Our tax money goes to pay for all the freeways. Uh, Ford Motor Company, Toyota Motor Company does not contribute to our highways yet. We have to use their for-profit vehicles we buy from them on our public roads. So. I think that bicycles should also be on public money. And so I'm trying to find just more and more uh, foundational money, state, federal, you know, money at all, if at all possible to fund these programs so that we're not trying to get into the rat race of selling bicycles, which as we all know, it's very difficult to do on an equitable level, especially in Los Angeles. You don't sell bicycles for transportation and expect to not lose your mind trying to make the bills and trying to pay the rent. So uh, I do appreciate the bike shops that support uh, the DIY spaces and support grassroots movements because they are the visionaries that really understand that commerce and good social work can go well together and together we create a much better uh, future for uh, our communities. How has this trip got you thinking about how to change or challenge American ideas about what streets should look like? It's a, a perfect question to end with because I've been thinking specifically about the approaches that we've had, but myself included definitely in the last 20 years, how I've been looking at the way that we uh, engage our communities, engage our citizens and seriously uh, confront that Americanism, confront that consumerism, confront that Angelino way of being. Not because I was like some kind of visionary or anything, but after doing all of this, I really feel like somehow I've been doing the right thing all along. The battle is not one that happens at City Hall. Like we're not going to be out there and like convincing the mayor and convincing the DOT to go ahead and start 
pumping money into a better infrastructure and then expect Angelinos to jump in there. It's not the way. Places like Copenhagen maybe had that, that opportunity somehow. You know, they had kind of a forced hand at some point because of their own economic situations to have to provide those kinds of infrastructures. What I feel that we've done well is that we've made bicycling really fun for people in Los Angeles, right? Uh, folks uh, get into their cars and that's all you hear about is their, their commute, uh, how horrible the freeways are, uh, how horrible it is to get around LA. You talk to anybody from, you talk to anybody from anywhere in the world and one of the first things that comes up is like, oh, you gotta drive there, you have to drive there. You know, it's superficial because it's Hollywood and you gotta drive there and these are the reasons people don't wanna live there. Um, but get beyond that and equity comes from the grassroots, right? And I feel like the, the fight we're gonna have is a cultural fight. We, we the people, we the grassroots, we the activists, we, we the neighborhoods, uh, we the immigrants, we need to start to really change our ways. And, and some of us who have the ability to, to, to hold space, uh, to, um, to host community, we have to really give them that wonderful time, despite how difficult it is, uh, help them grow out of a mode that is so destructive and grow up into a mode that is healing for not just cities, not just LA, but really all over the world. Uh, global climate change is not compromising. Anytime we wanna be like, hey, let's get in an electric car, that'll change things. We're trying to compromise with an environment that isn't compromising with us, right? And so we get closer and closer to catastrophe because we're making these really selfish, really myopic choices about how we get our goods and services to ourselves in our lives. So California gets $30 billion and two of those, 2% of that is going toward pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure and access, 2%. The rest is to widen highways and to put in um, electric charging stations. That is the wrong thing to be putting money into given what we know about everything. So again, I go back to this, it is a cultural battle we're gonna have now. We're gonna have to inspire people from within our communities to make the right choices. And it's, it's, a, it's a Herculean, like it's a huge task to say, we know no one's given you the inspiration to do it in government. We know that the culture in general isn't like pumping ads at you to get on a bicycle, to walk somewhere, to be local. So it's up to us, it's up to us again to have to have the, you know, yeah, have the ciclovias, um, have, have the rides, have the access, have the education, have the inspiration, have the song, have the cumbia, have like, just really get out there and just love the people with everything we got while we still have time to hopefully somehow repair a little bit of what we got left and maybe have uh, a decent life ahead of us, especially for, for our kids, especially for our kids. So that Americanism, <laughs> we see what that has made. It's, we're living in it, we're fighting against it. So it's, it's a new world we need to create. All the imperialist behavior has got to be stopped. And we just need, we need to create a much safer, sane and loving future for, for all of us. How long is the rest of your trip and where else are you going? Norway was, was the goal the whole time. So now we're gonna spend a few more days here doing some fun stuff. We're heading back to Copenhagen for a day or so and then Back to the grind in L.A. Enjoy. Thanks, brother. That was Bike Talk. Thanks to the co-hosts, Don, Lindsay, and Taylor, and our editor, Kevin Burton. Find us online at KPFK and biketalk.org. Get that car out of my way. I want to ride my bike today. Keep it fit. Get
Let your mind unwind. Give us life, pretend to lie. Better get yourself a fight. 